Welcome to Talks News, a Poor Dumb Rebellion broadcast. Thank you for joining me in my inconsistencies. But we are back. And boy, do I have some catching up to do. Very excited to get into today's program. Going to be focusing on America's interpretation of the freedom of religion or religious freedom. What shall it be? And then, uh, of course, we have the weekly update, a pretty short one from Militia Watch. Gonna cover. And then we have an interesting article of the Electronic Frontier Foundation titled, Police Will Pilot a Program to Live Stream Amazon Ring Cameras. These are the cameras that, uh, you know, are on people's doorbells that allow them to see who's outside their door. So, all that and more in this episode. Um, but, uh, you know how it goes. The music must end so that the streaming and the video can begin. Catch it on Talks Streaming on Twitch and Talks News on YouTube. Um, I'm, I'm going to wait for the live stream to kick in a little bit here. How are you doing today? That was rhetorical because I know nobody can answer me. But if you would like to get in touch, hit me up on Twitter, at AzaWave, A-Z-A-W-A-V. I don't have a email specifically for this. Um, you know, it's not really pre uh, present. Uh, yeah, I don't feel a lot of pressure to get it one. Um, maybe eventually down the line. But for now, just hit me up on Twitter, at AzaWave, A-Z-A-W-A-V. And now that the streaming is... On and the video is likely to be here as well. I want to open with that. Uh, I have been having issues uploading uh, this show to various <laughs> uh, outlets. Um, one of them, I think the one episode I could not get the YouTube to work because of a copyright claim. Uh, that episode is called uh, Disobedient Trumpers and Obama's Promised Land, which is on podcasts so you can check that out on wherever podcasts are casted and you listen to them um and then my most recent episode explaining what happened with the uh with that episode i did an episode called the worst news podcast ever uh that one's only on youtube because i was not keeping track of the time and the amount of gig uh, gigabytes that was going into that episode and so I wasn't able to upload that onto the podcast, where I actually get more, uh, let's see, uh, uh, I get more listeners than I do viewers, so it's kind of unfortunate that I couldn't get that episode uh, on the podcast, but it's on YouTube. It's a two-hour episode. Um, it's a pretty good one. And the unfortunate thing is, is that if you're interested in seeing it, you're going to have to go to Talks News on YouTube to watch it. The worst podcast. Uh, worst news podcast ever episode. Uh, but today, 
I have my shit together and I know what I'm supposed to do. If I reach an hour, I'm actually going to have to do a break as if I, you know, have advertisements. And then I will be able to have those, uh, you know, episodes put up separately and taken care of. So that's that's the situation that's going on here. I need to watch the time to make sure that I can then upload it to podcasts. And I also need to watch the content that I include in my videos so that it can remain on YouTube. Um, but that's that's what I was dealing with, and that's where I'm at. So uh, if you've been uh, along for the journey and the bullshit, I want to thank you for sticking with possibly the worst podcast ever. It's a total shit show, um, and uh, I'm proud to do it, and I'm proud to present it to you. Um, so let's uh, let's begin. Uh, my first thing is that I went on Twitter just to see, you know, what's bussing, what's, what's, what's really popping right now. And, uh, right now Michigan is having, uh, hearings for their, uh, the election fraud case with Trump. They had Arizona's yesterday. Still so far, none of this is actually leading anywhere. It just seems to be, you know, feeding into the rhetoric and propaganda that it's a rigged election. It's really only feeding into the right wing narrative that this election was stolen from a president. Uh, who lost by massive margins. Um, you know, Trump did get an impressive coalition of minorities and uh, marginalized people to vote for him, uh, but he did lose to Joe Biden by 5 million votes in the popular vote, and he also lost significant amounts of uh, electoral college points. I think Trump shook out somewhere around 210 and Joe Biden had somewhere around 300. But you know what? Let's just go make sure. It's just, you know. Make sure we got our numbers right, right? You know, don't want to be spreading uh, fake news. Yeah. Okay, so I was off for Trump. Trump actually had 232 electoral college votes, where Joe Biden had 306. Still a pretty wide margin, and Trump would have to uh, swing uh, several of the swing states back into his favor, um, and it's a significant amount of them uh, for him to actually come back into a 270 electoral college win. So um, that, that would be... Uh, pretty impressive but so far it's looking to shake out to nothing in fact the transition has begun has has begun and uh biden i think had his first uh intelligence briefing yesterday monday this is tuesday december 1st so uh, november 30th i believe was his first um briefing we'll probably go to reddit see if there's any headlines of importance to just kind of brush over um, you know, uh, it's, this is kind of, I wanted to do a Monday update, but I had personal, uh, business to take care of. And so now I'm doing a Tuesday update coming out on Wednesday, or if I am efficient enough, it should be uploaded tonight. Um, let's see here. My communities, our news, our news is like my favorite front page, uh, scroll through. Um, Wow. Uh, the first one is after swingers convention held in New Orleans, 41 tests positive for coronavirus. That's very fascinating that swingers were allowed to have a convention. 
Very interesting indeed. Uh, 95% upvote. I just want to click on it real quick just to see how many people actually went. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so many pop-ups. It's very frustrating. All right, let's scroll down. Uh, let's see. How many people were at the gathering? 2,000 attended last year, and about 250 people checked in this year. All right. 41 coming out with coronavirus and it's you know we still have time for it to develop because the thing is that the 41 people who tested positive may or may not have came into contact with people outside of the convention so that's super cool um and then recently i don't know if i already covered this but the cdc reported that for every coronavirus case that we do find there's eight that go unnoticed so um still breaking records uh and staying first that's the american way um but also here just breaking news is that um ellen page has come out as transgendered and changed his name to elliot page already announcing that he him is his pronoun uh preferred pronouns ellen page um i think from juno uh very beloved movie I love that movie, and I think everything I've seen Ellen Page in is also, like, usually just uh, supremely acted. Great actor. Um, and, you know, when somebody comes out, like, I think um, Sam Smith, uh, singer-songwriter, came out a couple months ago, I believe, as non-binary. Um, you when When you have a situation like this, you have the uh anti-transgender community come out to voice their opinions so uh, uh immediately seeing this trending i found the new york post reporting on it and i think it would be enlightening to get a bit of the american consciousness by going into the mentions to see what people say and then we'll get to the to the good stuff but uh, i want to congratulate Elliot, um, because it's not hard to um, be our, your authentic self all the time in America, especially if you're famous. There's, you, you know, you're always held to a certain standard of how you're supposed to present yourself when you're famous. And so this is going to be, you know, a little difficult probably for Elliot in social issues. Um, but, uh, you know, it's their life. And I think um, Elliot Page can do whatever he needs to do to feel comfortable on this planet unless that means like murdering people um i don't i'm i'm not i'm not soft on murderers you know but uh anyways the mentions so the first one and it has 67 likes the first one is by the oxford who says that means she's going to implant a dongle what is the difference between gay and transgender Poor soul, I hope she's happier now. Um, this first one is probably the most unenlightened tweet I have read in regards to this because uh, the Oxford continues to use the unpreferred pronouns for Elliot and also seems to be focused on how uh, having a penis is the most important thing when in reality, Elliot might be more concerned with how he is appearing to people in normal circumstances 
Um, so I give that tweet a 1 out of 10. Uh, the only thing I give them a slight point is is that at least they are concerned with Elliot's happiness, even though they still uh, misgendered them by saying, I hope she's happier now. But, you know, it is, you know, in, in America, we are super progressive until we actually find something we don't understand. Then it's a different story. Um, inspiring visionary the second comment says it's so irrelevant but I'd be lying if I said it didn't make me chuckle to see the MAGA cult 45 tribe have a meltdown all right that's funny and they're getting ratioed pretty hard they have about 72 replies and 48 uh, likes and that's because this is the New York Post so if you know anything about the New York Post is that it's super right-wing and I thought honestly there would be a lot more uh, comments here that were going to be of that persuasion and thus total dog shit but it seems like the top two not so much um the third one it says he is called elliot there's no need to use his dead name on a headline like this so uh the comment after that says please redo this headline um Yep, there it is. Finally got it. The third one with the most likes and uh, le least amount of replies, which means the ratio is in their favor. Um, they said, these comments are hilarious. You can say he when referring to her all day long doesn't change the fact that she's a woman. And, you know, that feeds into this whole thing that really... Um, Americans, uh, you know, a significant portion don't really understand the difference between gender and uh, biological sex. And so, you know, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Uh, and I thought there would be a lot more of that in this comment section, but I'm at least seeing a decent amount of people, a decent amount of pushback. Um, we have one here that probably has the most amount of likes that I've seen. And it says, does this mean he, she can only be cast in transgender roles from now on? I have trouble keeping up with the new rules. Not that Elliot Ellen will be getting any work regardless. So it's a moot point. And that one has the most likes and it has to actually be um, probably the most contemptuous tweet that refuses to acknowledge um, that gender identity um, really just matches with the person that they are from the inside out. Um, but since they, you know, this guy Adam uh, got used to seeing Ellen Page, he's having a bit of a malfunction trying to compute Elliot. Um, but, you know, transgender people are here and uh, there's absolutely nothing the ignorant, unwilling to just acknowledge people's existence uh, can do about it. Um, they will try to commit as much violence, whether emotionally or physically as they can, um, to fight against this um, reality. Um, but the reality is that transgender people have always existed and will continue to um, try to exist in their most authentic selves as they possibly can. I am a cis, cisgendered straight male who tries to do his best to understand where people come from. And I can't say that I'm always perfect with the um, 
Hmm, it's not an issue, but um, I'm I myself am still developing how I. Hmm, what is the best way to put this? As you can see, I can't even figure out what I'm trying to say right now. But um, you know, I'm all for trans rights, and I'm all for people um. being the gender they uh, so choose, whether it's non-binary, fluid, or uh, one or the other. So, um, you know, more power to Elliot. Anybody else who has a problem with it is more concerned with um, other people's lives than they are their own, I guess. So, um, yeah, Adam is probably, that last tweet is probably the peak of what I expected from right-wingers, is to just actually... Um, deny the existence of you know uh, of a person and who they really are man you love to see it um and then we're gonna get into the militia watch because that's what i usually want to do on the monday update at the beginning of the week because that's when they drop it and this one's pretty short moving into uh moving from transgender uh, to militia. This is America. So it's actually really short, super short. They have three bulletins this week. Uh, so to begin, here's the first. Uh, stop the steal mobilizations continue this week, but most militias stayed pretty quiet, save for Chris Hill's 3% security force, which caravaned around Metro Atlanta. Um... I had not actually seen anybody report on this, and I'm, you know, it might have been news in Atlanta, but it didn't make any national news. I don't think much militia movement really does, unless it's like an actual national protest kind of situation, or you get uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, among other findings, a recent SPLC, I think it's Southern Poverty Law Center report, finds that 55% of people call up. Uh, people polled had an unfavorable view of militia groups and more than a third thought that armed movements were a significant threat to the u.s very interesting um i thought maybe that number would be higher um but also we do have in that second amendment that the people have a right to bear arms and a well-regulated militia so um with that interpretation you're going to find a significant amount of Americans that are fine with militias in the idea that they are there to uh, protect democracy or the American dream, if you will. So 45% uh, are likely to be okay with it. I'm sure there's a, a percentage who just, you know, don't care. You know, don't, we don't know enough about militias. And like I said, there's more militias in America than we actually understand. So um, most people would probably think of Proud Boys, even though they're not necessarily a militia. They're more of a street fighting gang. But, um, you know, we, we have a wide variety here in America. So to move to the last bulletin, just before we get into the crux of today's episode, is a recent piece written on Kentucky militia groups is an interesting short read on the groups and their histories. So I'm going to click it. Probably just share it on the Twitter. Spectrum News 1. 
reports that Kentucky has a slew of active militia groups. Three percenters, Oath Keepers, Laws on the Books, Identifying the Groups, the Kentucky Militia. Alright, so it's actually a pretty decent read. It's not actually very long. I think it would probably take about, uh, you know, 20 minutes if you just went straight through it, maybe even 15 but uh, I'll probably just tweet it out and then maybe even get into it on one of the next episodes because it's uh, definitely worth a read. But unfortunately, I have to read another article. So if you're interested to get into it before I can do anything about it, it's uh, from Spectrum News 1. Kentucky has a slew of active militia groups. All right. So today's episode was titled Religious Freedom or freedom of religion. And it's mainly because I've been seeing, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court recently approved Amy Comey Barrett, who has a pretty thick past with, um, I can't even remember the specific group um, that she was a part of, but she is uh, fervently Catholic, and it seems to um, have a lot to do with her person, with who she is. And it was a major concern for a lot of Americans, mainly in the abortion rights and gay marriage uh, spectrum, because of the past, uh, you know, f for for a long time, but certainly for the past uh, 20 years, uh, religious groups have been the most fervent in fighting against uh, those rights of having an abortion and gay people allowing gay people to get married. Um, and that's why I wanted to talk about, you know, the difference between freedom of religion and religious freedom, because in a lot of ways in this country, people kind of conflate the two, even though when you really play out the saying, there is, there is a bit of difference between having religious freedom and the freedom of religion. It sounds kind of like semantics, but in, you know, in all honest truth, there is a difference, especially depending on the context of what somebody's using it. And, and that's why I want to get into it. But I also had, let's see here. I've seen a lot. I've seen a, a few things, but you know, uh, with Amy Comey Barrett being confirmed, a lot of people were worried in that regards. And, oh, where'd it go? I had a tweet from Steven Crowder that felt just right uh, for this for this episode. And I don't know if I ever saw if he actually had the rant, um, but he said, uh, pretty pissed off with the church, in quotes, and these absolutely pussified pastors who concede constitutional rights in the name of kindness, quote-unquote. Rant incoming, 10 a.m. Eastern, louder with Crowder. And... I find it interesting um, because I think recently the Supreme Court had ruled that uh, coronavirus restrictions don't on gatherings don't apply to churches and um, religious gatherings. So uh, Crowder was offended when I guess maybe the Pope came out and or certain churches uh, said that they're going to still uphold uh, gathering restrictions in the name of public safety, and Crowder believes that makes them pussies. 
uh, for not having as many people gather in their church as possible during a pandemic. Even though I think the actual pussifying is continuing to go to church as if you're not infecting a bunch of people as often as as we are. Um, which brings me to uh, a usual segment of this show. How many people were infected with coronavirus yesterday? And the number reads... 168,000. We're still staying above 150. Per day. 1,265 people died yesterday. And Crowder is more worried about churches not having the maximum of gatherings than he is about these numbers. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing is, is because I understand that uh, going to church on Sundays is uh, important to a lot of, um, you know, professional Catholicists and evangelicals. Um, you're, you're, you're considered pretty soft if you don't go on Sundays. But I honestly think that, you know, um, you, you, the, the, the belief of being able to worship God anywhere um, comes very powerful in a time when we actually need to come together and uh, separate. Uh, we all need to do it together. And I feel that people can um, put on special services at home and uh, worship in their own way. It's very fascinating that we have to have a church in order for it to remain in the sanctity of what we understand as the divine. But moving on, because the subject of the podcast is religious freedom or freedom of religion. And where that mainly comes from is the First Amendment of the Constitution, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or bridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is the first amendment and it is the most important to americans maybe it's a close tie for the second amendment but it says here very specifically that congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion which is the idea of the separation of church and state that you know the church and uh christian islamic judeo judeo-christian uh, God, or really of any religion, because it just says religion, um, should not have any bearing on the government's actions. That's the idea behind separation of church and state. Regardless of the fact that American money has, in God we trust, on its money, um, our uh, national anthem has under God, um, and every... I'm pretty sure every president is sworn in uh, with their hand on the Bible. I think actually a lot of, I think if not most, if not all positions of government are sworn in with a Bible. In our, uh, it's the same thing in a court that if, you know, if you're going to testify, you testify on the Bible. So um, we're not doing that great 
Um, it doesn't break this amendment here, this constitutional amendment, because uh, it's not part of the law. We've just kind of made it part of this like ritualistic tradition that we're a Christian nation rather than actually exercising any specific uh, Christian value, like presenting anything through Christianity. We're really just more focused on um, just kind of it being implied that this is God's chosen nation. And that's, we've been manifest destining since we are, since we conquered the West, basically. And maybe even manifest destiny had a lot to do with, you know, the, uh, what are they called? I forgot the, forgot the name for the settlers, the pilgrims, but it's also another one. <laughs> Pedestrians was another word that came to my mind. Ah, what were they called? Wow, my brain is really shitting on that one. What were they called? Ah, I can't remember. Protestants. Jesus Christ. <sighs> and then I took the Lord's name in vain while I was doing it. Um, but the Protestants came over here for a uh, you know for a variety of reasons, but apparently they had a lot to do with the uh, the bridge that had been made between the church and the monarchy and the Protestants being uh persecuted for their specific beliefs and so there's there's a lot to it but you know the protestants came here for a bit of uh religious freedom um it allowed them some religious freedom but the country itself was really founded on property rights um the people who came here and built colonies here wanted their property rights to be respected from a uh by a regime that was um never here you know so uh, we broke off from the crown in order to retain the rights of our property. And we wrote this amendment that says, we shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. The second part of there says, or prohibiting the exercise thereof, which is, uh, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which is that you have the freedom to exercise your religion. You have the freedom to believe what you want to believe. Um, so a little bit, two pieces of the religion or two pieces of religion in the first amendment, one saying that the church and the state still stay separate. And the other saying that they cannot make laws, um, prohibiting the exercise of people's religion, meaning you can gather in churches, meaning you can believe in Allah, uh, Abraham, Yahweh, um, Buddha, you know, the Tao, you can believe in all of it. That's, that's the beauty of that first amendment is that you have the free exercise of your religion, but the state will never adopt it. The state will always stay separate from it. So that's what my interpretation of the first amendment was and sort of what I was taught in school. Now to get better context, I thought, why not just look up somebody's uh, somebody's own interpretation of religious freedom or freedom of religion, some might say. And I found this video by Church Newsroom. And I think they're going to give us their perspective of what religious freedom is. Not freedom of religion, but what their religious freedom, what that means to them. So let's hear it. Religious freedom is a basic human right that gives our lives dignity and meaning and enables all of us to think, act upon, and express what we deeply believe. It's recognized in constitutions and declarations the world over. 
Religious freedom is our birthright as human beings. It's the architecture that allows diverse faiths and beliefs, yours and mine, to coexist. In other I could probably agree in the idea that, you know, uh, it is your birthright to believe whatever you want to believe. I'm just not 100% sure that it's as important as, like, the right to food and the right to shelter. But it could be. It could be, especially if those two first rights are already met. But um, there apparently this is like the pinnacle of human rights is just the freedom of belief. In other words, it's the right to live our moral convictions freely, in public, and with room to flourish. Members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints appreciate the significance of religious freedom. Early Mormon pioneers moved across America's plains, enduring many hardships to find a place to worship freely. Joseph Smith, the founding president of the church, regarded religious freedom with such conviction that he made the belief an integral part of the faith's tradition and scripture. One of the church's articles of faith reads, We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. And Latter-day Saints aren't the only ones. In early American history, the pilgrims recognized this God-given right and sailed across the ocean, leaving their homeland behind to attain it. Throughout history, people around the world have done the same. This holds true today. Religious freedom allows us to worship how we choose and gives all people the right to think what they want, say freely and publicly what they think, and to openly live their lives and their beliefs while allowing others to do the same. I'm Religious freedom richly benefits society, too. I mean, I don't, you know, I can understand where that's coming from because religion has a lot to do with people's beliefs, um, mainly around creationism and then also the purpose of human beings. But, like, I don't think religious freedom is that essential to freedom of thought, um, mainly, you know, you know, because, I mean, we've been circulated through um, so many different forms of religions that I guess, you know, it's very important to have. But with the emergence of science, I think that kind of like uh, not invalidates it, but it negates it a little bit just because the, 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 the freedom in believing in science is also a part of that. But I just don't see how having religious of freedom is equivalent to freedom of thought, especially with a lot of religions believing that if you don't believe in their God, you are wrong and you're going to hell you're a sinner um so that's that's just very fascinating to me that they're going to equate the two that freedom of religion is essential to having freedom of thought i feel like it's the other way around that freedom of thought is essential to the freedom of religion but hey i'm just the armchair podcast guy so um listen to this Research shows that when protection for religious freedom is up, tensions and strife go down. So when religious liberty and conscience is protected, societies are more likely to enjoy greater benefits of health and prosperity, harmony and stability. And what's more, its citizens are more civically minded, more generous and more neighborly. Uh, you know, that could be true. That could be true. I feel like a nihilistic society might be a little bit more... Uh, I don't know, self-indulgent, more selfish, but um, you know, there's a lot more to that than just religious belief because, I, again, I feel like just with the right ideology, say an ideology that is built around sharing mutual aid and community, you can have those same um, 
benefits come out of it. So, you know, it's really focused. This video itself is really focused in that religion is the root of all of these successes that we have when, you know, in our subjective relative reality, I feel, I feel that's true. But in a general reality, I would have to really want wonder and wish I like we could have some kind of simulation or other society that didn't have uh, a God necessarily or a specific religion, but really did still focus in on community and kind of, you know, faith may still be a part of their, their existence, but at the same time, overall, the community, I, 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 you know, highlighting the community more rather than an omnipotent, invisible being. I, 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 I'm, I'm just curious. Okay, we've established that freedom of religion is a fundamental human right, but that doesn't mean it will always be honored. Did you know that its foundation is being subtly and steadily chipped away? That go. social and legal shifts are squeezing this liberty in a number of ways. For instance, people have been dismissed from educational programs. Religious groups have been nudged from the public square. The ability. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, there might be certain circumstances, and we're not giving context on any of that. Um, but it seems we're going into that right wing um, direction where you know you're being suppressed because of your uh, beliefs. But you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Christians uh, do feel that their <laughs> beliefs are under attack, especially in a situation with the the rights of gay marriage. And to bring that to a finer point, there is that uh, the case I think from 2015 of the uh, baker who refused to bake a cake for uh, a gay wedding. You know, so they feel themselves under attack because gay people are flourishing. And that's because the Bible says that it's wrong for a man to lay with another man. But this is from a book that was written thousands of years ago when societies were really worried about their populations. And I'm, I'm not really sure of the level of deviancy they actually thought it was because they all came from societies such as like Greece and Rome, where, uh, you know, uh, sexuality was a bit more fluid of religious organizations to manage their employment and property has been challenged all because they follow their consciences and i also like that he said property has been challenged i mean like overall churches do not have to pay taxes their bills are very minimum and they are allowed uh to get uh completely untaxed tithing so um i don't think it's really under attack as much as they're saying it is i just think that the belief in uh, religion and the organized Christianity and all of that is really going down because of science and also because of the contradictions and paradoxes that are in the Bible. Um, so I feel people themselves are moving away from, uh, you know, these organized religions and moving more into their own uh, individual beliefs that don't necessarily need these organizations. So what can be done to preserve this fundamental freedom? First, people must work together to maintain its structural integrity, whether religious or not. They should also be fortifying each other's freedoms by weighing in on the discussion with their own views in reasonable and meaningful dialogue. And that's what we're trying to do here on this podcast. Church leader Elder Quentin L. Cook adds this. It is important to become well-educated on this issue, to take responsibility, to pass on to future generations, the religious freedom you now enjoy. Defend religious freedom on the internet and in your personal interactions in the neighborhoods and communities where you live.
Likewise, as we engage in public discourse, we should remember the repeated encouragement by church leaders to act with civility, tolerance, and respect. If you want your religious beliefs to be protected, you need to defend the beliefs of your neighbor, even if they don't mesh with your own. Religious freedom's umbrella of protection covers everyone, especially those most vulnerable in society. All deserve their place in the public square. No one should be mocked, mistreated, or silenced for following their moral conscience. That goes for religious institutions as well. Remember, a society is only just and free as long as religious freedom is sustained, nurtured, and protected through the vigilant efforts of communities, groups, and individuals like you. Learn more at newsroom.church. So, yeah, I mean, they're holding religious freedom as the very fundamental human right where, um, you know, I could I could definitely agree. The, the unfortunate thing is, is that religious freedom seems to kind of uh, attack the freedoms of others. And in, a, in that, again, I'm going to bring up the woman's right to choose and also uh, gay people's right to marry. So those have been two main issues in the past decade that religious freedom, people uh, freely believing in their religions, have inadvertently or advertently been oppressing other people because of their own beliefs. So that's where I have a hard time with religious freedom, whereas freedom of religion is that you're allowed to believe whatever you're, want, you're allowed to believe. And that shouldn't ever come at the cost of other people's freedoms. I think that's, that's more important. And they did acknowledge that earlier, that the institution should not abridge other people's rights. But again, um, I just wonder <laughs> where they stand on those other issues, such as abortion and gay marriage, because it's uh, it's a concern in the nation right now, especially after the confirmation of Amy Comey Barrett. Um, I don't think that they will um, repeal uh, or overrule gay marriage in this country. If they do, then we have some serious fucking problems. Uh, but you know, when it comes to abortion rights, we, that one I'm a little bit more concerned about that it won't be federally protected anymore and that it's going to go down to the state's rights and certain states are, uh, a lot more religious than others. And so they will, um, use, uh, legislation to block people from, uh, or block women from getting abortions. So, uh, that's what, that's why I wanted to bring this up because of the religious uh, majority that is on the Supreme Court right now. And fortunately enough, we have this video from the PBS that says what new decisions say about the Supreme Court's view of religious freedom. So now that we've got a little understanding, one understanding of religious freedom, let's get into how it is being uh, implemented and moved currently in the United States. This video is from July 8th, 2020. The Supreme Court is wrapping up the final week of its session and today revisited the dispute over coverage of women's access to birth control under the Affordable Care Act. As John Yang reports, it's familiar ground for the justices. Judy, this was the third time the Supreme Court considered the question of whether some employers could opt out of the birth control coverage because of their beliefs. Marsha Coyle is the chief Washington correspondent for the National Law Journal. Uh, Marsha, what did the court decide in this case today? John, the court in a 7-2 ruling 
written by uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, decided that the Trump administration had legal authority to issue rules, new rules, actually they date back to 2017, that expanded an exemption for religious groups uh, from the birth control coverage requirement. The expanded rules would allow uh, religious objections as well as moral objections and would cover just about every non-governmental employer in the United States, uh, allowing them to opt out of that coverage as well. So in this final two weeks, I kind of have to wonder because in my mind, I know Chick-fil-A is pretty open about their religious beliefs and Hobby Lobby is another one. I then have to wonder how many more companies would fall in line of religious beliefs in order to just actually deny uh, that kind of health care um, in, in the name of money, um, the real God of this country. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, I, I don't. I don't see a lot of them selling out, but I, I, I would be fascinated to see then how many more companies are going to become religious focused in order to deny people uh, health care. We now know is the final two weeks of this court's term, they've had three decisions uh, uh, dealing with religious freedom. This one today on uh, birth control coverage, another one today in which they said essentially that uh, church run schools don't have to worry about anti-discrimination claims when they deal with teachers who teach their faith. Uh, and then last week, uh, a, a decision. Yeah, I'm not really 100% uh, brushed up on that issue, but I think it's mainly focused on making sure that uh, those religious schools have teachers that share the same beliefs. And if they don't, then they are easily fired or let go of or not even hired. So I think that's where that is mostly. I don't know of any other unintended consequences or repercussions that that law could, uh, you know, eventually pull forth. But I think for right now, it's mostly just making sure that um, Catholic schools have Catholics and uh, Hebrew has Hebrew, I, I think, I think so far. So in which they said that Montana could not exclude a school from a scholarship program simply because that school was church run. So what does this tell us? Take these three mm. things, uh, three. So, and then I also have to wonder if that is a slight bridge uh, or a bridge of the, uh, you know, the no law of the establishment of religion that they're using taxpayer dollars to offer scholarships to uh, a religious school. I don't know if that breaks the First Amendment. I don't think it does. It sounds like it skirts it just enough, but that is the state funding religious schooling. And I don't know to what extent that can exceed to, but that's essentially what that is. And I don't know if we have religious schools that are public. I f I'm pretty sure they're all private. So decisions, cases together. What does this tell us about where this court is on the question of religious freedom? John, I think it's a continuation of a trend in the Roberts court since at least 2005 when Chief Justice John Roberts took the middle seat on the, on the bench. Uh, the court appears in most of its decisions to favor those who are claiming religious discrimination either by a state statute like last week's decision or a state constitution like last week's decision in Montana or 
uh, as um, the uh, Little Sisters of the Poor case here involving the accommodation for religious and moral objections. So again, it's, it's a continuation of a trend. And if, if the person bringing the case is claiming in particular that his or her free exercise of religion under the First Amendment is being violated, the court appears to be favoring those claims with a very strong uh, belief in the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Uh, a little personnel and, and, and med, uh, medical call note. We learned uh, that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts two and a half weeks ago was taken to the hospital after falling and, and cutting his head. We This court only announced this because the Washington Post asked them after they got a tip about this. What, what do you make of this? It looks as though at least uh, the court said that the Chief Justice was suffering from dehydration uh, and, and he became dizzy and that's how he fell. Uh, I should say too that in 1993, I believe, and 2007, he suffered uh, benign ischemic uh, strokes, Wait, which on. means there really was no. Pardon me, listeners. What's up? No. Do you guys want to have pizza tonight? I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brief interruption for dinner. All right, back to it. No reason for our seizures, not strokes, seizures that also caused him to fall and, and pass out and fall. Uh, so that's just to show y'all how real this podcast is. It's just real. My roommate comes in, asks me a question. I ain't going to deny them just because I'm doing this. If it was a full-on conversation, they'd have to talk in the mic. But that kind of stuff, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And if you don't like it, um, I don't know, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, we have to take the court at its word. And certainly the court was relaying whatever the Chief Justice said was the cause of the problem. But it is unfortunate that uh, it takes a tip to a newspaper which then has to go to the court's information office to find out something as important as a justice going to the hospital. Marcia Coyle of the National Law Journal, thanks so much. So My pleasure, John. So yeah, basically the reason why I wanted to bring that up is uh, because I wanted to kind of show that we are seeing this bend towards uh, religious freedom um, which, you know, can end up actually abridging some of the freedom of religions of others because some people might actually be a part of uh, religions or the lack thereof that allow them to believe in contraceptives um, or uh, the state not funding private <laughs> uh, religious schools. That kind of thing abridges the freedoms of people who don't subs uh, subscribe to those other religions and that's the bend that we're taking and this video itself came out four months uh roughly four months july so it was actually three months before amy comey barrett was uh certified into the supreme court so we already had a bend and then we added amy comey barrett to really ensure oof oof pardon me burps uh to really ensure that the uh, bend continues in that direction, which I think 
was their intention with Amy Comey Barrett, who uh, became a federal judge in 2017. And then before that, really uh, didn't have too much experience. Um, she worked for uh, Antonin Scalia, who was a uh, Supreme Court justice, but that doesn't necessarily move them directly. That doesn't give her all the experience that she needs. But, you know, with her just getting in now, we're going to really see how it all shakes out. Um, with that being said, we're going to have to take a break for the podcast because of what I said earlier that I have uploading issues. So this is going to be like, uh, like an ad break, except I don't have ads. So, uh, if you're listening, give it one brief second and we'll be right back. Yay. And we're back speaking to the podcast, because if you're watching the video, then you saw me take a decent gulp of water. If you aren't watching the video, you can check it out on Talks News on YouTube. Uh, here, I'm going to take another drink so that the podcast gets one too. <sighs> Ice cold. What's cooler than cool? Ice cold. So, with that being said, with all of that being said, what else do we have with this subject here, huh? Well, we're going to go to the One American News Network, which uh, is Trump's favorite news network. Uh, and they are going to talk about Secretary Pompeo, who claimed that China, Iran, and North Korea are the greatest threats to religious freedom. But if you've been paying attention to American politics, China, Iran, and North Korea are basically the new axis of evil. Even though, you know, Trump is pretty you know, uh, friendly with Kim Jong-un. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, we're still keeping them on the demonization list, especially Iran. Uh, because we, we, uh, Americans feel a certain type of way about Muslims. So let's hear it. The Secretary of State names China, Iran, and North Korea as the most dangerous opponents of freedom of religion around the world. One America's Hans Hubbard reports. Mike Pompeo outlines the state of religious freedom globally, underlining that, despite outstanding challenges ahead, the free nations of the world are rallying behind U.S. efforts to protect this inalienable right. The Secretary of State delivered this message on Monday during opening remarks at this year's Ministerial to Advance Freedom of Religion or Belief. The annual event was hosted virtually by Poland and included high-level representatives from more than 50 countries, including Australia, Brazil, Norway, Finland and Morocco, among others. This event brings together different nations. It brings together different traditions. But commonly, we share a conviction in the fundamental dignity of every human being, believers and non-believers alike, and in what my nation's founder described as the unalienable rights of every man, woman, and child. Assaults on religious freedom or belief are assaults on the first of those rights, and they are tragically happening all across the world. According to the Department of State, I think it's very fascinating that it's actually like a group of nations that came together about the, uh, you know, the inalienable right of religious freedom. And America takes its time to uh, denounce certain nations for the way that they treat uh, religion. 
Um, I'm not too familiar with China, Iran, or North Korea on how they, uh, you know, express freedom of religion, if they do at all. Um, but uh, I just find it very interesting that on a platform with other nations on the world stage, Mike Pompeo says, hey, these three, uh, they suck. The ministerial represents an opportunity for world leaders to assess the state of religious freedom around the world and discuss concrete proposals for the advancement of individuals' right to practice their beliefs. Addressing the most significant threats to this right, Pompeo singled out the authoritarian regimes in China, Iran and North Korea, naming them as the principal aggressors against the free exercise of religion worldwide. To this effect, he cited the persecution religious minorities and in some cases all people of faith endure under these governments. Chinese Communist Party's war on faith targets Christians, Muslims, Buddhists and Falun Gong devotees alike. The party spares no one. The Iranian regime's persecution... My, my real problem is, you know, we are well aware of uh, China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims in their nation uh it, you know basically moving them into camps uh re-education camps also concentration camps and work camps so there is persecution going on in china the unfortunate thing is though is that when mike pompeo makes this accusation he provides zero evidence he says only that they are an enemy to the freedom of religion so I find that a bit fascinating and so much so that I googled religious persecution in China and it says here that in reports of countries with the strongest anti-Christian persecution, China was ranked by the Open Doors Organization 2019 as the 27th most severe country and in 2020 as 23rd most severe. Religious practices are still often tightly controlled by government authorities so honestly i'm not really going to be able to get a full scope without doing a lot of research um, but it seems that china does have a bit of a persecution issue but being the 27th most severe does not sound like it is the uh biggest threat so uh persecution let's go to iran Um, I guess the Open Doors organization has a page on Iran right here. Uh, they're ranked number nine. I'm not sure. Um, it says here on opendoorsusa.org that it's illegal to convert and illegal to preach. Iranian society is governed by Islamic law, which means the rights of and professional possibilities for Christians are heavily restricted. Christians are forbidden from sharing their faith with non-Christians in Iran, and it is illegal to produce Christian literature or hold church services in Farsi, the most common language in Iran. Converts from Islam face persecution from the government. If Christians attend an underground house church, they face the constant threat of arrest. So, um, yeah, yeah, that one, they are, um, I what are they? I feel like they're, they're a certain sect of Muslim. There's the Shiite and Sunni. I'm not a hundred percent sure which Iran is, but it is, uh, pretty strict. And I can't tell what this number nine is for. Maybe it's the ninth most severe. I can't really tell, but they put a giant number on it. Um, 
Oh, that's funny. They have a donation for supporting persecuted Christians. So, uh, if you want to donate to that, go to Open Doors. Um, yeah, open. Let's see here. Religion in Iran. Just click this real quick, get a little bit of understanding, and then we'll go to North Korea. Um, religion in Iran has been shaped by multiple regions and sects over the country, oh, over the course of the country's history. Zoroastrianism was the main religion during the Achaemenid Empire from 550 to 330 BC. The, Panth the Parthian Empire and the Sasanian Empire. In 651 AD, the Rashidun Caliphate conquered Persia and spread Islam as the main religion. Sunnism was the predominant form of Islam before the devastating Mongol conquest, but subsequently Shiism uh, became eventually utterly dominant in all of Iran with the advent of the Safavids. So this is a very rich history so i'm not going to be able to really encapsulate everything but um uh there's a long history to the um religious dominance in iran but it seems that the uh in an online survey in iran uh 30 are shia muslim and then the second highest is 22 percent of no religion um eight percent said atheism and then they do have Zoroastrianism, spiritual agnosticism, Sunni Islam, mysticism, humanism, Christianity is at 1.5%. Um, so, and it says, according to the CIA World Factbook, around 90, 90 to 95% of Iranian Muslims associate themselves with the Shia branch of, of Islam, the official state religion, and about 5 to 10% with the Sunni and Sufi branches of Islam. Christianity, Judaism, and Zoroastrianism are officially recognized and protected and have reserved seats in the Iranian parliament. They have reserved seats. Interesting. Iran is home to the second largest Jewish community in the Muslim world and the Middle East. Interesting. The two largest non-Muslim religious minorities in Iran are the followers of the Baha'i faith, which is uh, basically, you know, they're, uh, they believe every bit of every religion has some truth in them. Um, and then Christianity. The Baha'i community, historically the largest religious minority group in Iran, has been persecuted during its existence in Iran. So it sounds more like that one is more per uh, persecuted than Christianity, but let's click the Christianity here and get a little bit. Christianity has a long history in Iran, dating back to the very early years of the faith, and Iran's culture is thought to have affected Christianity by introducing the concept of the devil to it. Interesting. There are some very old churches in Iran. Perhaps the oldest and largest is the Monastery of St. Thaddeus, which is also called the Gara Kalisa, the Black Monastery, south of Maku. By far the largest group of Christians in Iran are Armenians under the Armenian Apostolic Church, which has between 110,000 to 250,000 and 300,000 adherents. There are many hundreds of Christian churches in Iran, with at least 600 being active serving the nation's Christian population. 
As of early 2015, the Armenian Church is organized under Archbishop Sepu Sargsian. I apologize if I got that wrong. Um, let's see here. Christian groups outside the country estimate the size of the Protestant Christian community to be fewer than 10,000, although many may practice in secret. So, um, it doesn't sound as persecuted as they're making it out to be. Um, again, this doesn't sound like it's the most uh, persecution of Christians. Um, it, I, again, I think it's just more of a focus because we don't like Iran in America. We we do everything that we can to build the idea that Iran is the enemy of America when really um, they're not a threat to us whatsoever. I think for the most part, it's just their resources that we're really after and we're hoping to get a regime in there that will make it e easier for us to extract them. So, uh, religious persecution in North Korea. In North Korea, the constitution guarantees freedom of religious beliefs. However, in reality, there is no freedom of religion in the country. According to one report, at least 200,000 Christians have gone missing since 1953. Christians in North Korea are said to be the most persecuted in the world. So, at least that one was a bit more consistent than the first two. China and Iran don't sound to be that person, pers uh, I don't know, they don't seem to care that much about Christians in their nation, although it's not ideal for you to be either, um, especially in Iran. Iran, I'm sure, is a bit more uh, taboo in cultural and society, um, but they don't go out of their way to persecute, where it seems as in North Korea, it is a bit more of an issue, so much so that it has been marked as the most severe. ...of religious minorities and its blasphemy laws have held the Iranian people hostage for now 41 years. Uh, when he says blasphemous, I'm not sure if he's meaning because they believe in Islam and they believe in Allah um, and him probably believing in Yahweh um, and or he means that it's blasphemous against the American Constitution which you know you could say is another uh, form of religion it's definitely a mythos in the same vein as uh, the Bible um, with less stories in it and in North Korea there are executions tortures and imprisonments of believers for the simple acts of devotion like having a Bible Despite the onslaught against religious belief carried out by authoritarian regimes, however, Pompeo took a moment to highlight. Just remember, there are Christian churches in both China and Iran. We just we just read that. So um, it may be true in North Korea that you can be persecuted for having a Bible, but they have full on churches in China and Iran. So uh, essentially, I can say for certain Mike Pompeo is stretching the truth, if not outright lying. Recent accomplishments in the field of individual rights, expressing confidence that under US leadership, the tide is turning against these transgressions. But we can have some joy as well. The gains we've made, the civil society roundtables popping up all over the world, the country level conferences on religious freedom, and indeed today's event give me hope that I'll See, and it's very fascinating to me that, like, and I've seen it mostly from right wing, and I'm pretty sure Mike Pompeo is considered a conservative in America, that they really, like, keep using the word religious freedom rather than freedom of religion. And I, I really think that does split the line that, you know, religious freedom is that, you know, the full freedom of, uh, you know, 
it's religious freedom that Christianity has the freedom that Judaism has the freedom, not that the person has the freedom to believe in Christianity or Judaism or the Chinese communist party, but that they have the freedom or, or that Christianity has the freedom to exist within a nation's borders is what they're more concerned about. Others are rallying to our noble cause. Let's keep up our work to secure freedoms in our home countries and to speak up on behalf of victims of religious persecution all around the world. Let's proceed with the understanding that faith is eternal and tyranny must be overcome. And let's all pray for our success. Hans Hobbard, One American News. Want to see more videos? So, uh, yep. Uh, that I find that to be very interesting as we're talking about, you know, with religious freedom being one of those roots to uh, human rights. Um, and that brings me to what really started this this whole thing here, um, because religious freedom being so important, um, we're going to have to get into PragerU's video because PragerU uh, has at least two point something, uh, two point million 2.0 million jesus christ get your shit together they have 2 million subscribers and so they reach a good amount of people and they came out with this video about a week ago what is religious freedom why is it here we go important and why is it now under threat hold on a second i can hear you saying religious freedom is threatened who doesn't have what i like about this guy is that his name is kelly shackleford He's going to talk about religious freedom, and in his name is Shackle. I just think it's funny. Have religious freedom in the United States. You can be a Protestant, a Catholic, a Jew, a Muslim, or a Wiccan. You can believe in anything or nothing. Yeah, I mean, America does allow the existence of like the the Satanic Church and the Church of Satan, um, although culturally and in public spaces, you probably will get like you know glares and people talking shit to your face it's a different kind of persecution not like state persecution where they will you know target police and ruin your life but for the most part culturally and uh socially you can be ruined for your beliefs because of how other religions believe in their beliefs like christianity thinks that you're a heathen sinner blasphemer infidel uh when you uh subscribe to the church of satan so there's a there's a lot to do to to deal with in this situation that like i really feel like religious freedom oppresses freedom of religion in the very end at the grand scheme of things this was true but not anymore seems like almost every week a new dispute arises between people of faith and government agencies alleging that believers are violating the rights of non-believers or simply violating government edicts Given that the search for religious freedom was central to the founding of America, this is quite a reversal. As Thomas Paine put it in his influential 1776 pamphlet, Common Sense, this new world hath been the asylum for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe. It wasn't an accident that the first freedom listed in the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, is about religious liberty. Here's what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This meant the new United States would have no government-sponsored religion as Europe had at the time and no restrictions on how you practiced your religion. 
British historian Paul Johnson draws a stark and telling contrast between the two great revolutions of the 18th century. The essential difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution is that the American Revolution, in its origins, was a religious event, whereas the French Revolution was an anti-religious event. That fact was to shape the American Revolution and determine the nature of the independent state it brought into being. Now, I don't even know if that's 100% true if the, the French Revolution was anti-religious. I know it was anti-elitist and bourgeois, but um, religion, I'm not sure. But maybe that also has a lot to do with the fact that like the monarchies and the churches really merged together, bringing the church up to the level of bourgeois. So, I don't, I don't know. Now, two centuries after the Bill of Rights, freedom of religion, one of the main goals of the American Revolution, has morphed into freedom from religion, one of the main goals <laughs> of the French Revolution. That's not what any American should wish for. Here's why. Because when they come for your religious freedom, they're coming for all of your freedom. I really wish that they would expand on the on the thought of why the French Revolution was atheist or anti-religious. I've never heard that before. So if anybody has anything on that, please hit me up because I've never heard that before. It's the totalitarian tell, the giveaway. This is what the founders understood and why they were so insistent that religious liberty be in the Constitution. To them, freedom of liberty was tantamount to freedom of thought. If you aren't free to think as you wish, you can't claim to be free. They were right. There is no example in history of a regime suppressing religious freedom and not suppressing other freedoms. One of the first things the communists did in Russia after the Russian Revolution in 1917 was to close nearly every church and take control of all religious life in the Soviet Union, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. To uh, I'm not 100% sure on that either. Hmm. Sometimes you just gotta Google things. Um, was the what was the religion during Russian Revolution? The Soviet Union was the first state to have as an ideological objective the elimination of religion. Toward the end, the communist regime confiscated church property, ridiculed religion, harassed believers, and propagated atheism in the schools. Interesting. Um how did religion affect the Russian Revolution? At the time of the 1917 Revolution, the Russian Orthodox Church was deeply integrated into the autocratic state, enjoying official status. So it sounds like the similar situation as if, like, as with the monarchies, uh, the kings, uh, you know, also uh, assimilating with the church. And it also says this was a significant factor that contributed to the Bolshevik attitude toward, towards religion and the steps they took to control it. So it's very fascinating. It's very fascinating indeed. I f it, yeah, maybe that also is around the same curve as uh, the Russian or the French Revolution, that like the, the all-powerful state and bourgeois, the oppressive group was also assimilated with the church and the church was also helping to uh, oppress people. And so then there was a revolution against those powerful institutions. Um, 
but of course, like in a PragerU video, it's just to kind of assimilate the idea that communism is inherently anti-religious and that, you know, when it was implemented, it did attack religion, which in the Russian case specifically, they did. So, um, um, I'm, sure, this... I'm sure there's more context to it. Um, and I think people are going to have to do research on it, but, um, there, yeah. That there, there's the through line. There's the dot connected. Today, all religious life in China is strictly controlled by the Chinese Communist government. Why do repress? They did say that that the in the little bit of research that we just did that China does have a lot of control over the religions that are going on. But again, we don't have the full context of the full extent of you know what's necessarily going on in those states. Oppressive governments fear religious freedom because it challenges the authority of the state more than any other freedom. People who adhere to a religion believe that there's something higher than the state, and no repressive government can tolerate such a belief. I guess so, but I just want to say here that like, I went through the Torah audiobook, and that's the Hebrew Bible, and a lot of it, I think it's just the Old Testament, which both Christianity and Islam are focused on. Um, the thing is, is that uh, God was obsessed with bringing the chosen people to the promised land to create a nation, to create a kingdom. And uh, that, I, you know, it seems to me that both of those ideas actually are the same, that God and the nation are as important to each other. But it's very fascinating here that um, PragerU is saying that. But I guess it, 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 there's that through line that it is a threat to the authority because of the Protestants that came here to avoid persecution in Europe. So not 100% wrong, but also just really trying to put the victimhood, the fear of victimhood in, in believers. That makes religion the first target of those who want ever more power and ever more control over its citizens. That's why... Yeah, but also I feel that the use of religion can um, anoint people to the position of, you know, still removing people's freedoms because people can um, take power by saying that they were divinely chosen to do so. Um, I think back in the second, I think, George Bush Jr., uh, he said that he was told by God to invade Iraq. So... Um, you know, as you can see there, that's religion um, affecting a president who then uh, started a war in a nation. So, you know, you can see how it kind of goes both ways, that removing religion can be a first step towards tyranny, but also invoking religion can do the same. Hey, even if you're not religious, if you care about freedom... You should care deeply about religious liberty. My job is to protect religious liberty, and let me tell you, the trends are troubling. Eight years ago, my caseload was 47. Last year, it was over 300. Oh, wow. Here are some recent examples. Bremerton, Washington high school football coach Joe Kennedy was first suspended and then fired for going to a knee after a football game to say a brief, silent prayer. A three-judge panel for the Ninth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals Hold on. Yeah, because that's not, you can't, I don't think you can do that. But here's the thing, though, is that corporate policy 
can be challenged in the Supreme Court or in federal court because of the First Amendment. But corporate policy always kind of runs on its own deal. So, I mean, until they make a law that says, like, corporate policy can't be discriminated by this, um, they did discriminate someone based on their religious beliefs, and so they probably ended up losing that case. But I'm going to look up Joe Kennedy just to make sure. That's funny, I spelled it wrong. Um, Coach Joe Kennedy, July 23rd, First Liberty. So yeah, went to the Supreme Court. Let's see here. Uh, let's see, school district suspended and later fired Coach Kennedy over his silent 15-second prayer. First Liberty Institute filed a lawsuit against the school district, Kennedy v. Bremerton School District. A federal district district court upheld coach kennedy's termination on appeal a three-judge panel of the u.s court of appeals for the ninth circuit concluded that because coach kennedy could be seen by students and fans engaging in religious expression the school lawfully terminated his employment and his silent prayers were not protected by the constitution in january 2019 the supreme court of the united states declined to review coach kennedy's case but the case has returned to the district court to answer some of the questions raised by the justices upon rehearing the district court again sided with the school district setting up a return to the ninth circuit that's very interesting because what i am genuinely curious about is that why he is not allowed to express his religion at this school um because the school itself is a public school. Because it was the school district that went against him, but I am I I I'm surprised. Uh, there's an article here by the Washington Post. No, I can't do it because it's probably behind a paywall. Very strange. I honestly thought they would uphold it. Um, I'm going to click this article here that says that the schools did not violate Coach Kennedy's religious rights. I, I am genuinely curious here. Um, let's see here in his ruling. Uh, in his ruling, U.S. District Court Judge Ronald Layton noted that the dispute between former coach Joe Kennedy and the Bremerton School District showed the tension contained within the First Amendment. On one hand, an individual public school employee's right to religious expression. On the other, the district's right to restrict that expression when it violates the prohibition on the government favoring a religion. It's so weird because I guess he is a representative of the school district, but it's not as if the school district is endorsing any of his religion i'm actually not sure i agree with this ruling i'm actually kind of torn about it so it says here although the court is sympathetic to kennedy's desire to follow his beliefs the former right must give way to the latter in this case hmm uh the rebuttal is Coach Kennedy spent 20 years in the United States Marine Corps fighting for our freedoms as Americans, and he continues to do so as a coach and a former coach. 
We are very hopeful, whether it's the Ninth Circuit Court or the Supreme Court, we will find a body of law that will provide justice for Coach Kennedy, and not really just for him, but for football coaches around the country. Um, the district spokeswoman says that she looks forward to the conclusion on the matter. In 2015, the district placed Kennedy on administrative leave after he repeatedly violated the district's directive to stop praying on the field immediately after games. After the co head coach resigned in 2016, the contracts of four of six assistant coaches were not renewed, including that of Kennedy. Hmm. It's very interesting because a, a, a representative of the district or an employee of the district isn't necessarily the government endorsing it. So I, I am a little bit torn here because I don't really like the authoritarian approach that districts and also corporations, basically even companies, can have on a person in the way that they're supposed to uh, behave when they're on the clock. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm actually pretty torn on it because I think if he can request days off based on his religion, I don't see why he can't do a 15 second prayer. I might actually need someone to better explain that to me a bit because, um, I thought this was going to be a why kind of article, but it's just a how. Um, so, uh, let's see here. While public schools do not have unfettered discretion to restrict an employee's religious speech, they do have the ability to prevent a coach from praying at the center of the football field immediately after games. Hmm. Hmm. So they have the right to tell him not to pray before games. And he chose to uh, tell them that he was going to do it regardless. So I have to wonder... Um, because yet again, yeah, it's not the state that is, um, restricting his freedom of expression, which is protected in the first amendment. It's the, uh, district and the district actually might be able to, um, uphold their own beliefs, which that's what this is, is that he shouldn't pray before a game while he's on the clock representing the school district. So I guess that's the angle that they're coming from. So we got a little bit of better understanding there. Let's continue. Concluded that because Coach Kennedy could be seen engaging in religious expression by students and fans, the school had the right to fire him. The city of Houston is attempting to ban a small Orthodox Jewish community from worshiping in the home of its rabbi. Given that the neighborhood... Hmm. Let's look that up real quick. Houston... Bans Jewish families from gathering. Um, hmm, hold on. We might have to rewind the video a second just so I can. Uh, city of Houston. What year did he say that it was? Because the, the problem might actually be more of uh, the COVID lockdowns and the restrictions on gathering. To fire him. The city of Houston is attempting to ban a small... So since it's, uh, he said it is attempting to ban, I think it does have more to do with uh, COVID-19 lockdowns. Let me see here. Uh, let's see... 
First Liberty, which I think is where this guy is from, has an article on it, but I want to try to get something else. So, let's see. How do I clean up this search that I can pull something up? Let's see. Uh, do 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 Hmm. Hmm. I don't see it, so I'm gonna do the first liberty. So I'm not seeing anything, uh... Any other article. So we'll just go to the first liberty, who seems to be fighting all of these cases and I'm pretty sure the the narrator of this video that's who uh this is the organization they represent um so apparently it says here first liberty institute sent a letter to the city of houston urging them to permit a small orthodox jewish congregation Hymish of houston to continue meeting in a houston neighborhood home the city has sought to enforce residential use restrictive covenants against the small congregation despite many businesses operating in the neighborhood. Um, it says, quote, Houston is a diverse city that should welcome the small Orthodox Jewish congregation and protect its members' ability to worship freely, uh, said Justin Butterfield, Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty Institute. Quote, Hymish of Houston is asking... City officials to follow the law and allow its families to continue meeting the, for worship within walking distance of their homes as prescribed by their faith. We are hopeful that the city officials will recognize the religious freedom rights of this community. Hymish of Houston has been meeting in a home near its congregants for two years. The members of Hymish of Houston are limited to holding religious gatherings in their communities because of their religious prohibition against driving on the Sabbath. Hymish of Houston is uniquely situated to be within feasible walking distance of its members, many of whom moved to their homes in the neighborhood specifically to be near uh, Hymish of Houston. While numerous businesses and houses of worship operate in the same neighborhoods as Hymish of Houston, including a hospice care facility, a rehab house, a Ghanaian church, a paper shop, a some gritty cultural center, a braiding salon, hair braiding salon, and a butcher, the city of Houston is demanding that this small Orthodox Jewish congregation stop holding religious worship, effectively banning adherents to Hymish of Houston's form of Orthodox Judaism from living in that community. <laughs> it's uh, it's not banning them from living in the community. I think it's just banning the, the, the gathering because of probably COVID. Um, but yet again, yeah, I'm not finding... Uh, anything specific. So now that I have Hymish of Houston, I can look that up and see how that goes. Um, let's see. I don't see any news. No news, no news. Uh, Houston is home to longest running Jewish school i'm not really seeing any news articles on this on this issue <laughs>
Um, there's only two pages for the news, so. Yeah, I can't really find anything more than that, but I think it has more to do with the COVID-19 lockdowns, which, um, like I said, the Supreme Court ruled that, uh, you know, the restrictions on, of COVID on that, uh, um, the COVID restrictions don't apply to religious gatherings. So yeah, that, that, that case might actually give them some success, um, because of the recent Supreme Court ruling that I think came out just after this video. Um, let's see here. I, I just want to make sure. Supreme Court. Religious gathering ruling. Uh, okay, that was just for New York. So U.S. Supreme Court rules against New York's restrictions on religious gatherings. It says here on Thursday, and that being what year, uh, what date? It was November 26, 2020, that this article came out. The video came out three days before. The Supreme Court has ruled against Governor Andrew Cuomo's coronavirus limits. The ruling protects religious freedom amid pandemic precautions that were being called unnecessarily restrictive for houses of worship in city neighborhoods hit hard by COVID-19. CBS's Dave Carlin reports from Midwood, Brooklyn. So yeah, that's where that's at. Um, religious uh, freedom getting certain privileges that businesses and even individuals cannot all orthodox jewish community from worshiping in the home of its rabbi given that the neighborhood includes a rehab house a ghanaian church and an east indian cultural center i like how he had to chuckle when he said ghanaian church as if it's pretty funny that they have it um, but again, like we don't really understand the situation of the Ghanaian church and whether or not they've been obeying the restrictions or, yeah, there's not a whole lot of context that you get from PragerU videos, but I don't know what Ghanaian is. So I'm gonna look it up just out of curiosity. Um, religion in Ghana. Okay. Huh. So it's, it, yeah, it's just uh, from Ghana. Huh. Let's see. I don't know anything. Huh. Uh, the, yeah, it's a country. Interesting. Even though it's a Ghanaian church, it still might be Jewish or Christian. Because uh, when I was looking at this, it could be Christian. There's definitely a Presbyterian and Christian Ghanaian churches. That's just more ethnically focused. The city's action is hard to fathom. A peace cross in Bladensburg, Maryland has stood for almost 100 years in honor of 49 young men who died fighting in World War I. Yet in 2017, a court ordered the cross to be torn down. One judge offered... Let's let's go backwards and see. Uh, where's this a peace again? cross in Blainsburg, Maryland? Because again, not a lot of context, so we got to go get it. Blainsburg. 
Plainsburg, Maryland. Uh, looks like it's still up. Um, Wikipedia says it's a World War One monument or memorial, more commonly referred to as the Peace Cross. It's a World War One memorial located in the three-way junction of Bladensburg Road, Baltimore Avenue, and Annapolis Road. It is a large cross, 40 feet. Um, the arms of the cross are supported by a unadorned concrete arches. The base of the cross displays the words valor, endurance, courage, and devotion. It also includes a bronze tablet listing the names of 49 men from Prince George's counties who died during the war, along with a quote from ugh, Woodrow the Worse Wilson. The right is more precious than peace. We shall fight for the things we have always carried nearest our hearts to such a task we dedicate our lives that was the quote so the right is more precious than peace interesting so uh ruled in 2019 uh the supreme court allows 40 foot peace cross on state property so i guess that was why they wanted to take it down because it seemed that the state was uh endorsing a religion that being of christianity that is the main symbol of christianity and i think that was the issue that was being brought up so again um that one may or may not actually break the first amendment but the supreme court said uh keep it so we're gonna read from christianity today that says supreme court Peace Cross gets to stay, but not because it's secular. And I think it got to stay because of its uh, honoring of the troops. So I'm going to read just briefly here. Uh, On Thursday, the Supreme Court ruled 7-2 in favor of allowing a memorial cross to remain on a state-owned median in Bladensburg, Maryland, and declared that government efforts to maintain the landmark do not violate the religion clause of the Constitution. Quote, the fact that the cross is undoubtedly a Christian symbol should not blind one to everything else that the Bladensburg cross has to come to represent. A symbolic resting place for ancestors who never returned home. A place for the community to gather and honor all veterans and their sacrifices for this nation and a historical landmark, wrote Justice Samuel Alito in the majority opinion. Quote, for many, destroying or defacing the cross would not be neutral. It would not further the ideals of respect and tolerance embodied in the First Amendment. Unquote. But here's here's the thing about it, is that, you know, it does seem to be a bit of an endorsement of Christianity. Um, you don't have to honor those who have fallen with, with, a, with a cross, with a symbol of a specific religion. Um... And I think that they ended up kind of skirting it, the, the, the whole religious thing about it, uh, in order to uh, invoke the idea that it's for the troops. So I actually see this one a little bit more shades of gray, and I actually don't think I 100% agree. I know tearing down the cross would hurt a lot of Christians, but there's a lot of people in this state, in this nation, that is not that are not Christian 
And so I don't see why replacing it possibly with like uh, anything else that would also commemorate the memory of these troops uh, to be any more harmful. The thing is, is that they decided not to piss off the Christian community and decided to uphold the idea that that is a uh, uh, symbolic resting place for ancestors, which has to have a cross. It has to. Um, but I don't even think that we have those at our uh, most of our military cemeteries. So I just want that to be acknowledged. We got a we got the context there. Let's get back to the video. And has stood for almost a hundred years in honor of forty nine young men who died fighting in World War One. Yet in twenty seventeen, a court ordered the cross to be torn down. One judge offered a novel compromise. She suggested we chop the arms off the cross to make it less offensive. Fortunately, we won that case 7-2 at the United States Supreme Court. If you could see his face in the delivery is that he was offended by the idea of chopping those arms down. And that's what I'm talking about is that they did not want to uh, offend the Christian population, but they also didn't want to reach a neutral position um, by having a memorial that wasn't uh, symbolically Christian. Um, which could offend others, depending on their own beliefs. And that cross is still standing. A hundred percent, like, to be perfectly clear, like, I'm not offended by the cross still standing. I just find it a bit hypocritical for them to uh, allow the state to endorse, even the Supreme Court to endorse the Christian symbol. So um, that's my issue, is that it does seem that one is more of an endorsement than the coach who prayed for 15 seconds. America is also still standing, but it won't be for much longer. Not as the free country the founders envisioned. If we don't take these threats to religious freedom seriously, the great historian of post-revolutionary. I don't think any of those were necessarily threats to uh, religious freedom, as they put it. Um, like I said, like we can commemorate those troops without the church symbol. Um, the thing about the Jewish community to me is that it's not banning Jew Jews from being Jewish. It's really probably more related to the, uh, gatherings in terms of COVID, which everybody has to kind of deal with in their own ways but the church and a lot of religious people don't want to do they still want to do their gatherings when in you know in the grand scheme that actually um hurts the rights of others because at church gatherings if there's allowed a lot of people those people can get infected and then they can go to the grocery store and infect other people so you know that's another thing to consider but with the the coach kennedy i'm having a bit of a hard time that one I'm having a little bit more of a hard time that the, the district can tell him not to express his religion, even though in the First Amendment, we all have the right to the freedom of expression. So. America, Alexei de Tocqueville, understood this very well. When men attack religious beliefs, they are following their emotions, not their interest. Tyranny may be able to do without faith, but freedom cannot. I'm Kelly Shackelford, president of First Liberty, for Prager University. Yeah, the president of First Liberty. I knew it because I looked up those cases and it instantly took me to his website. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hmm. it's, it's really difficult here 
it's really difficult here because of you know the fact that religion like i said religious freedom tends to oppress others who do not believe in that religion so um that's that's kind of the real crux of the problem that i uh, i have um and that's not so important to them because they want the the fruition of christianity um, because it actually really does help them in building the american exceptionalism and the american mythos of this being god's chosen land and um everything else that we do because it's very important like i said uh for our institutions to have the tradition and ritual of religion because we swear on the bible for testifying in court politicians are sworn into their positions with their hand on the bible as as the president is as well so we're not overtly christian but we are a christian nation in a lot of ways one nation under god so you know um not seeing a hundred percent discussion from the right to have the freedom of religion where every religion is allowed to exist on this plane they use that argument in order to make sure that uh christianity and its rules are upheld and that's what we're going to see develop more as we have amy comey barrett joining the supreme court and whether or not they're uh going to uh attack uh, abortion rights and uh i don't see them like i said i don't see them going after gay marriage but it, it was a major issue for the religious in america because it is against their religion that man should never lay with another man but the thing is is that when you're a part of that religion i think it means that if you are a man of christian faith then you shall not lay with another man it doesn't say that if you see another man laying with another man that you have to stone them to death um personally but it might it might be Let's see. Uh, we're gonna homosexuality in the Bible. All right. Um. So we have from CatholicHawaii.org. If it loads, um, Genesis nineteen one through 11 that evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of sodom lot was sitting there and when he saw them he stood up to meet them then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground my lords he said come to my home to wash your feet and be my guests for the night you may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again oh no they replied we'll just spend the night out here in the city square but lot insisted so at last they went home with him Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind them. Please, my brothers, he begged. Don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you. You can do with them as you wish. <laughs> but please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out 
pulled Lot into the house and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. So that 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 story is more of like Sodom always being the piece of shit, the city of Sodom. But moving on, we have Leviticus 18.22. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as a as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. So again, that says, uh, don't do it, dude. But uh, then you have Leviticus 20.13 that says, if a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. So there we go. Leviticus 20.13, shutting down uh, gay people's rights to uh, exist. And the fascinating thing to me here is that if a man practices homosexuality, they are put to death. But if a woman does it, not mentioned. Not mentioned. Never been mentioned. Um... And then we have more, but I want to get to the shorter ones because, you know, we're running out of time and I have an article to read. Um, so from the first book of Kings 1424, and there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And then in the first book of Kings 1512, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father uh, that his fathers had made. So, yeah, just more anti-homosexuality, um, even though, you know, cult prostitutes is, you know, it just sounds like language that is just uh, completely anti-orthodox uh, uh, normative. And then the second book of Kings 23.7 says, He also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes that were inside the temple of the Lord, where the women were wove coverings of the Asherah pole. What I find fascinating here, though, is that this quote isn't have anything to do with, um, what is it, homosexuality. That's very anti-prostitution. And on this podcast, we are pro-sex worker rights all the way. So, yeah, there's a little bit. Um, it's written into the, 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 the Bible that homosexuality is a detestable sin and that bleeds into society and human rights because homosexuality, I honestly believe is a part of human nature. I think love is on a spectrum and, uh, I don't think the Bible believes that. I think the Bible thinks it very binary. Uh, and then the last quote we'll do is Jude 7, and it says, Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. And so they basically believe that if, you know, sexual deviancy or perversion was to become rampant in, inside of a city or a nation, then God would bring his judgment upon them and end that city or nation. But here's the thing is that it has been rampant in a lot of cities and a lot of nations and in human existence. And that has just never come true. The true uh, fire of God's judgment is simply just bigotry who cannot handle anything hopping out the uh binary box that every human being is supposed to fit into apparently and this is coming from a cis gender heterosexual male um i could i could uh um uh discriminate against people for not fitting into my box but i'm not going to because i know that this uh reality is filled with a 
spectrum of perspectives, point of views, and existence, and I will allow it to be so because um, we're all uh, on our own journeys riding on this mothership together. So um, hate on it if you will, but if you do, please do not listen to this podcast, please do not talk to me, and please do not come near me because um, if we're not going to have a civil discussion or at least an enlightening one about the subject, then we should just avoid it entirely and try to figure out how we're going to allow people their individual rights while also allowing uh, freedom of religion. I'm not talking about religious freedom because that's allowing Christianity's rules to dictate the lives of others, but the freedom of religion for people to be Christian if they so choose. I'm all for that. But once Christians start saying, uh, uh, what did the Westwood, what the, uh, not Westwood, <laughs> Westwood TV, um, uh, the Westboro Baptist church, I think said God hates fags and that, uh, uh, and, and soldiers because they allowed, uh, gay people to join the military. And so they had a problem with that, and they would go and protest veterans' uh, funerals. That's that bleeding of religious freedom collapsing upon individual freedoms, and uh, that seems to be a thing. I don't know if you or if you're aware of Deuteronomy, but that's a bunch of rules uh, against an individual's freedoms. And I think Deuteronomy, for the most part, was really just made in order to, like, kind of have a society, like, laws and rules, the same way that Hammurabi's uh, code was created for the first civilization. So, um, I don't think it applies to ours, because we created a constitution, and we have our own laws here that we obey without the um, sponsorship or endorsement of Christianity. So the Bible should not dictate everybody's lives, although it is totally okay for Christians to choose for the Bible to di dictate their own. That's where I'm at. And with all of that talk of the, the religious freedom being crushed, even though it's really the freedom of religion that is being suffocated because of Christianity's need to convert as many people as possible, um... I want to get into this final article that I think was posted by Tuck Woodstock. No, it was Garrison Davis from Portland. He's a journalist from Portland. And it reads from the Electric uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, who usually uh, works on uh, internet rights uh, cases. They, they spend a lot of time on net neutrality and other rights on the internet, which, you know, I think eventually we're going to have to get a bill of rights for the internet. But right now it's just the Wild West and we kind of deal with the FCC whenever it comes around. Uh, shouts out to Reese's Cup, who will be out of a job soon. So that's tight. All right. But this article is called Police Will Pilot a Program to Livestream Amazon Amazon ring cameras. So while Christians fear of the destruction of their beliefs because they're not allowed to gather during a pandemic and also that gay people are allowed to get married, we have this from the police. Um, something that's going probably under their radar. Um, probably not under the radar of libertarians because they're really concerned about tyranny, but I feel for, uh, you know, most conservative Christians are not going to bat an eye to it, especially if they spend a lot of time screaming blue lives matter. So 
we're going to get into it after talking of all that religious freedom and talk about actual freedom here. Now that everybody's putting these fucking things on their doors in their houses. Um, you can go on YouTube and get compilation videos from Ring, who I don't know how they get these videos. Maybe they're submitted, but Ring has videos of like uh, when thieves or when kids or just like compilation videos from uh, porches and doorways. Uh, basically, the Ring doorbell is a camera microphone that allows uh, people to answer their door without having to actually open it. Um, which I think to the police has been uh, quite an ire up until now. So let's get into the article. It reads, oh, well, let's give credits to the author. Hold on. Holy shit. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that last name. So I apologize if I say it wrong. Matthew Guar... 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 Guariglia, Guariglia, okay, uh, by Matthew Guariglia, and it reads, this is not a drill, red alert, the police surveillance center in Jackson, Mississippi will be conducting a 45 day pilot program to live stream the security cameras, including Amazon ring cameras of participating residents, okay, all right, that's at least a start. I was really concerned when I had seen that this this headline that it was uh, randomized um, because I don't think we have any protections. I don't know if the, the like if them uh, watching you through your camera necessarily breaks the uh, Fourth Amendment. But we also know that the NSA has been doing that with the Patriot Act and collecting everybody's phone calls, emails, text messages and uh, Internet data. So, you know, um, them, if they were doing it without permission, I would not have been surprised. But I am surprised that they are doing it with permission. So uh, the article continues, since Ring first made a splash in the private security camera market, we've been warning of its potential to undermine the civil liberties of its users and their communities. We've been especially concerned with Ring's 1,000 plus partnerships with local police departments, which facilitate bulk footage requests directly from users without oversight or having to acquire a warrant. No warrant necessary. Yep, that's what I'm saying, is that this, 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 these new cameras on everybody's houses um, may not have restrictions based on the Fourth Amendment, which is uh, quite possibly a serious uh, oversight. But, you know, this is a new, new time, and the Fourth Amendment was written 200 years ago. So, uh, while people buy ring cameras and put them on their front door to keep their packages safe, police use them to build comprehensive CCT, CCTV camera networks blanketing whole neighborhoods. This serves two police purposes. First, it allows police departments to avoid the cost of buying surveillance equipment and to put that burden onto consumers by convincing them they need cameras to keep their property safe. Second, it evades the natural reaction of fear and distrust that many people would have if they learned police were putting up dozens of cameras on their block, one for every house. Now, our worst fears have been confirmed. Police in Jackson, Mississippi have started a pilot program that would allow ring owners to patch the camera streams from their front doors directly to a police real-time crime center. Uh, 
The footage from your front door includes you coming and going from your house, your neighbors taking out the trash, and the dog walkers and delivery people who do their jobs in your street. In Jackson, this footage can now be live streamed directly onto a dozen monitors scrutinized by police around the clock. Even if you refuse to allow your footage to be used that way, your neighbor's camera pointed at your house may still be transmitting directly to the police. Only a few months ago, Jackson stood up for its residents, becoming the first city in the southern United States to ban police use of face recognition technology. Clearly, this is a city that understands invasive surveillance technology when it sees it, and knows when police have overstepped their ability to invade privacy. If police want to build a surveillance camera network, they should only do so in ways that are transparent and accountable, and ensure active resident participation in the process. In the many cities that have enacted community control over police surveillance ordinances, residents through their legislators have more say in whether or not police may build a program like this. The choices you and your neighbors make as consumers should not be hijacked by police to roll out surveillance technologies. The decision-making process must be left to communities. The article uh, closes out here saying, here's the response we received from Amazon in regards to this post. Amazon and Ring are not involved in any way with any of the companies or the city in connection with the pilot program. The companies, the police in the city that were discussed in the article, do not have access to Ring's systems or the neighbor's app. But also, I'm not sure that really 100% means the feed that the Ring gives. But their, their statement finishes, Ring customers have control and ownership of their devices and videos and can choose to allow access as they wish. So the ability for them to get the live streams right now is through participation, but you have to wonder why the pilot program is being allowed. Are they going to ask for permission every time they're going to live stream when say there's an active shooter or an active situation? I'm going to say probably not. I think uh, whatever their 45 day pilot program is to figure out is to it's, it's, it's almost like a multiplayer beta for say like a call of duty or a video game or something is that they're really just trying to get the the readings and the measurements of what is possible with the technology and how it can be implemented into police procedure that would be my best guess and it does seem like that we're buying our own shackles here um but you know who who cares about that when uh um uh jewish people aren't allowed to gather in large numbers under covid 19 restrictions so there's a little bit to ponder at the end there is that these wonderful cameras that allow you to see uh if somebody's stealing your amazon package may now be used to spy on you uh by big brother so yay this was uh uploaded november 3rd 2020 but um yeah that's today's episode um a long one a long one indeed holy crap uh i hope you got as much uh information out of it as i did because we did learn a bit we did learn a bit um and uh i guess i'll just have to see you next time
And that's mostly for the video because the video gets no outro music. So if you want to hear the outro music, you're going to have to subscribe to the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't see this, then you'll have to subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can see every article and every video and my beautiful face. Wink. I sh- yeah, I winked and I did it loudly. But as for the video, good night. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful a uh, life full of liberty, justice, and the pursuit of happiness. And for the pod, I love you just as much. <laughs>